listeners, welcome to another episode of Stump Mike, our third this week. It's been a hectic week in cricket, but not sure you've heard, there's the most context-heavy cricket happening in the UAE this week. The World T20 qualifiers begin and uh, there's lots at stake, lots and lots at stake for teams which are outside the test field who are trying to qualify for the World T20. Pleasure to be joined by uh, former Scotland captain Preston Momsen. Uh, Preston, thanks very much for your time. Sure enough, no problem. Good to be on your show. Super. And uh, someone who follows associate cricket more than pretty much most people that you know, Peter Delapena, joining us from Manchester. Is that PDP? Hello. It's always a pleasure, Srinath. <laughs> nice. Uh, I believe you're traveling in the next 24 hours to the UAE. Give us a quick lowdown on what's going to be happening and what's at stake. There's there's so much that teams are going to be playing for in the next couple of weeks. Well, this is probably the biggest time of the year for everybody who's participating in this tournament. You've got six spots up for grabs among the 14 teams in this event and a couple of new faces who are showing up for this event. Everybody plays six group matches in their 17 groups. There's two 17 groups. And then top four teams advance to the playoffs. The biggest thing is to finish at the top of your group. That's the biggest incentive. If you finish at the top of your group in the group stage, then you get an automatic berth in the T20 World Cup opening round, I guess as it were, in Australia. The the way the, the format is, if people have forgotten, that you have, once you get to Australia, you still have an opening round to get into the quote-unquote main draw, but just to get to Australia, this is the next step in that process. So it's an exciting time for everybody involved. Yeah, Preston, uh, this is something that a lot of people following the bigger teams probably do not understand in the sense that a lot of teams are playing for their future. A lot of players are playing for their future. Most of them are amateurs. They've got day jobs to go back to. There's so much at stake. There's very few people better to talk to this about than you because you've been part of these tournaments. You've played at T20 World Cups. What's it like to sort of go into a tournament like this as a player, knowing that there's so much more at stake, pretty much. And sometimes if you kind of bow out of these tournaments early, people don't come back to play international cricket after that. Yeah, Srin, I, th- I think you hit the, the nail on the head in the beginning of, of your show there, talking about, um, you know, very contextualized cricket. Um, you go into these tournaments and every game, every single ball has meaning. Um how often run rate comes down to qualification. I mean, I know Peter covered um, a tournament recently. I think it was in Namibia um, where run rate was so key in, in allowing teams to progress um, through the different pathways. Um, so I think as a team, there is a huge amount of pressure. Um, it's a, a heavy pressurized environment uh, throughout the uh, however many weeks the tournament lasts for, as, as well as the build-up to the tournament. Um, you know, you want to be in your your best uh, state possible come ball one, come uh, match day one. Um, so it's about, I guess, having the, the right mindset uh, for a lot of these teams. We've seen teams go to these qualification tournaments before and, um, you know, really have poor tournaments, teams you wouldn't expect to do so. Um Scotland as a national side, uh, at the start of my career, we, we really struggled, um, with these tournaments, uh, particularly the T20 qualifiers, which were always held in Dubai. Um, 
it was almost uh, we we kind of struggled for some reason. I don't know. Um, we sort of had a mental hurdle about uh, getting over the line, and it was was only really until 2014 in New Zealand where we sort of got over that hurdle and uh, we really changed the mindset of of how we were going to approach approach this tournament stroke knockout style play and it really needed buy-in from from the full squad um, and all the staff uh, I think the key is um, well, fundamentally the mindset has to be bang on there has to be a lot of flexibility a lot of freedom and the acceptance that uh, things won't go your way um, in this sort of tournament play um, of course ideally in preparation you want everything to be bang on you want every game to go your way. You want decisions to go your way. But ultimately, it just doesn't happen like that. Um, and I think Zimbabwe last year in the, the 50 over qualification was, was a real example of that. Um, when, when Scotland unfortunately, uh, got a bad decision and, and that ultimately, um, changed their, their destiny in terms of the 50 over World Cup qualification. Other things that come into it, luck certainly has a major part to play. Um, and that goes in line with those decisions. There's no DRS at these competitions. So, you know, you're, you're going to get some decisions that do go your way. You're going to get some that don't go your way. Um, and it's about accepting that, you know, at, at an early stage as possible. Injuries. Um, we've seen some teams hampered by <clears throat> selection issues, um, not being able to field their strongest team and good leadership, I think is vital in, and keeping a, a team composed through those moments when things aren't particularly going your way, you may, you know, it's possible to lose your opening game, and it's about how how how, how quickly you can restore confidence and get back on track towards that, that qualification. You really want to be finishing top of these groups to to absolutely nail down your place um, in Australia next year. Um, as well as to give yourself the best possible chance of making the final and, and winning some silverware. Because for these sort of tier two teams, um, there's not always that opportunity to, to be showcased and an opportunity to really exp- express yourselves um, as a team, as individuals. And a, it's, a, it's a stage for them. All of these teams have the skill. They all have match winners. Um, right across the 14 teams. Um, so anyone on their day is capable of turning over another team. Um, and it's, it's how you can keep your cool when, when things aren't quite going your way. Thanks for that, Preston. That's great context from a player who's gone through the grind. Just for listeners who are not so closely following the associate scene, Peter, uh, there's 14 teams like you mentioned in pools of seven there are the usual suspects we've seen of these we've seen the likes of Scotland the Netherlands even Ireland these teams are more in action they get some fixtures with test teams or the teams ranked higher Ireland of course are a test team themselves uh, but who are the newbies and teams that we should watch out for one team that people in the subcontinent might remember is Kenya who've kind of slid down the associate pyramid for so long and Namibia who played the 2003 ODI World Cup Bermuda as well so many other teams who are vying for these spots in the World T20. Give us a lowdown on the kind of teams who are the favourites. Of course, it's the T20 tournament and it's harder to predict. It's that much harder to predict favourites because it's such a fickle format uh, given it's so short. Well, of the new 
teams in this event. First timer, I think, who has the best chance of of surprising some people is Singapore. They're making their first appearance in this event, and why is Singapore here? Singapore beat Nepal in their regional qualifier in Asia. Everybody's going to probably be turning on their TV sets, wondering, where's Sandy Blamichane? Where's Paris Kodka? Well, Singapore has had a, a major uh, rise in the last three, four, five months, really uh, spearheaded by Tim David, who's a player, played in the Big Bash, and he's qualified through uh, Passport to play for Singapore in his edition. Has really done a lot to propel them into this tournament, and they've been in fantastic form. They beat Zimbabwe in a tri-series recently, so they're a dangerous team to look out for at the start of this event. They've done fairly well in 50-over cricket in World Cricket League events, but they've never had an opportunity to showcase themselves in T20 cricket, so they're going to get that opportunity this week. Uh, another team that people may remember from 2015-2016 beat Ireland in the T20 World Cup. Oman has been in fantastic form recently when their home Pentangular Series, they beat Ireland in that Pentangular Series in Musket. I think they're a fantastic team. They've got a lot of dynamic players led by the captains. Ishan Maksud is an all-rounder, big hitting all-rounder, bowls left arm spin, Kawar Ali, leg spinning all-rounder, Amir Kaleem, who played a big role in their qualification to get to India last time. He's missed some time over the last few years with injuries, but he's now back in the team and he's in good form as a left-arm spinning all-rounder. And then on the fast-bowling front, they've got Bilal Khan, who bowls pace at about 135-140 and, and can swing it as a left-armer. And then Kali Mullah, who's a tall, very tall, hit-the-deck bowler. So they've got they've got some options there, Oman. And then Canada is a team who's kind of fallen on, on hard times in the last few years, kind of slipping back in the rankings. Preston alluded to the, the teams that are, you know, at risk of losing through net run rate because net run rate is always so crucial. They got the short end of the stick in Namibia and missed out on ODI status literally by just one boundary in the last over of, of round robin play. But they defeated USA in the regional qualifier in Bermuda that was held, and they've really uh, ramped up their intensity in T20 cricket in particular, led by the new captain, Navneet Dhaliwal, and they've got a really big hitter in the middle order, Ravinder Paul Singh, who scored, I think, 70-odd off of not a lot of balls in, in a warm-up match uh, just yesterday. And uh, how many of those Canadians are, are part of the uh, Canadian T20? Is, is it the bulk of their squad then? The major- overwhelming majority of them, yeah, have, have gotten really good opportunities through that event. And that's something, that exposure to get to play alongside and play against a lot of world-class players in that domestic tournament. The evidence of that was on full display at that regional qualifier in Bermuda. They just came in with a lot more confidence. You take a look at somebody like Saad yeah. Zafar in particular, who was the man of the final in the first year of that GT20 event, scoring 77 or 79 or 45 balls, getting promoted ahead of Andre Russell, getting promoted ahead of Bob or Hyatt, and uh, having that incredible partnership with Rossi Vanderdusen to win that event event against a team that had Shafane Rutherford and Fabian Allen and Brandon King, uh, who 
led the CPL in run scoring this year. So that's the kind of exposure that the Canada guys have gotten. And it really came to the fore against USA and against Bermuda in that regional qualifier. So of the teams that are kind of resurgent outside of the Ireland, Scotland, Netherlands kind of teams, I I think Canada and and Singapore in particular, as well as Oman and then Bermuda themselves, they've got Delray Rollins. Uh, born and raised Bermudian who uh, has done fantastic for Sussex in the T20 Blast as well as Kamal Leverock, the nephew of Dwayne Leverock. Everybody remembers Dwayne Leverock taking the catch in the World Cup in 2007. He's a fantastic fastballing all-rounder. So they've got some X-Factor players too. It's it's a wide-open event in terms of these teams on the rise. And- One question for you, Preston, uh, going into these tournaments, typically when teams prepare these days, they've got so much video footage and analysis and they know the opponent so well. Uh, on the associate circuit, that's not the case. Thankfully, this tournament is being broadcast, so so much, so many more people will get a chance to watch these teams. But outside of these big tournaments, you don't get so much analysis or get to see or get to know these players, given how frequently sometimes players move in and out of these teams. How do you prepare for opponents like this? Because there are six different teams that teams are going to be facing in the league phase of this tournament. If you're facing a team for the first time, does that happen or that you've not seen half the players or sometimes the entire team play before and it's, it's a bit of a new quantity or a novel quantity for you? And in a T20, that can be the difference between victory and defeat sometimes. Good question. When um, when I captained the Scotland team, I, I was very big um, for analysis and, and I really wanted to do everything we could um, as a team to give ourselves a head start before we even set foot on on the field. So I think you're absolutely right. Analysis now does play a huge part in T20 cricket, trying to get your mat- matchups bang on. I think given the the scale and the opportunity of a tournament like uh, a T20 World Cup qualifier, most teams, you know, will invest heavily in the resources when it comes to trying to get the best analysts that they can for their team. I know Scotland's gone out and, and secured Jared Kimber, which is a bit of a coup, I'd say, given his uh, credentials and, and T20 leagues around the world. I know he's a he's a big one for for data and, and, and trying to get the right matchup. So I'm intrigued to see how that 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 works out for for Scotland. But at the same time, you know, Scotland. Wouldn't have played Bermuda in a long time. Um, there's uh, other teams they wouldn't have uh, had had good looks at. So you know you're bound to come across uh, players who, who you're not used to playing against, uh, actions that you're not used to facing, um, and it's about trying to adapt as quickly as possible. I think um, this tournament. It looks like the coverage is going to be pretty good, probably one of the the best ever for a qualifying tournament. So um, media footage will be readily available and I'm pretty sure the analysts will be working um, extremely hard at the end of a day's play to try and compile compile as much um, evidence on other other teams as they can. I know um, going back to the 2015 qualifiers in Scotland, that was certainly something that um, our analyst at the time, Toby Bailey, was was doing behind the scenes. Um, you know, right from day one, he was capturing data on, on other teams so that when we were coming up to them to play them in the group game or possibly later on in the um, knockout stages of the tournament, we were prepared and we, and we knew exactly the possible starting 11 of the opposition and exactly what each of uh, our opposition's roles were going to be in that game, 1-11. And 
you know, what sort of matchups we can put up against those, those other batters or bowlers. You know, one decision, one out the box decision or one creative bit of thinking can make a huge difference in a T20 game. Um, and that is why I believe analysis analyst is so important. Um, it could be one over at the start of the game, opening up with someone that the other opposition batter has a weakness against or a particular fielding position. Um, or closing out the game with uh, a left-arm seamer, wide Yorkers to a particular batsman. Um, there's so many different uh, variabilities that come into it. It's not it's not about going to the UAE, playing your game, going home, and waking up next day, going again. Um, you know, it's it's around the clock uh, operation. It's it's getting the points in the bag and going back, preparing for your next game, doing the analysis. Um, and being switched on because uh, Peter said it again there, all of these teams have match winners. And if you're not up for it, if you're not 110% prepared for what's coming at you, um, things won't necessarily go your way. Peter, on that note, quick couple of questions. Uh, a lot of these tournaments do happen in the UAE. Is it as simple as the ICC finding it logistically simpler? Because Preston mentioned it earlier. For a team like Scotland or Ireland, for coming from Europe in completely different conditions, it's so much harder to adapt to the UAE within three days and just a couple of warm-up games. Is it just a question of logistical ease for the ICC? That's one. Secondly, six out of 14 teams will head to the first stage of the World T20. How does the qualification process work? Because the top two teams from each pool go through. What's What decides the other two qualifiers? So on the first point, the UAE is a rare place in the associate world in terms of having a, a large number of quality facilities within a short geographical distance. You've got the Dubai Stadium, and then literally, I think it's maybe a mile and a half or two miles away, you have the ICC Academy, which has two grounds. And if you're in a 17 group, or you're going to have three matches potentially in a day, and one team having a buy in a day, you can have three matches going off all within the space of two miles of each other. So for convenience sake and, and logistics sake, and then uh, same thing in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, you've got the stadium, the Sheikh Zayed Stadium, but right outside the stadium, you've got two nursery grounds that people may not be aware of. They never get shown on TV, but literally just outside the stadium, they've kind of got a, a nice, large kind of garden type setup that's developed in the last couple of years where, again, they've got two grounds, so you could have three matches in a day all within the space of about 500 yards of each other. And for that reason, Abu Dhabi and Dubai has always been a very, very convenient operational launching pad for, for this event, as opposed to trying to stage it in another country or countries, as was the case in, in 2015 when Scotland and Ireland had to join co-host it because there's just not enough facilities within either country to be able to, to make it feasible uh, as, as much as that event was a fantastic event in, in Scotland and Ireland. You can see why the UAE is, is a much more preferable destination because you just don't have enough facilities in a compact space to be able to do this and, and keep the cost down because obviously the costs are going to explode the, the further distance you have to travel and, and all that kind of thing. In terms of the format, you have... 14 teams, two groups of seven, the top four teams advance. And it's, again, really crucial to finish at the top of the group because the team that finishes as the group winner gets automatic qualification to the World Cup. Two versus three in the group, you play a crossover game 
with the two versus three in the opposite group. The winner of that goes through to the World Cup. They clinch a spot essentially in, in the semifinal, the tournament semifinal. Uh, so it's kind of an IPL style or kind of a T20 franchise league style thing where the, the two versus three gets gets two shots two bites of the cherry to advance to the World Cup. And the winner of that goes through to the semifinal in, in the in the qualifier that's going to be in the UAE. The loser then gets a second crack at the fourth-place team, the fourth-place finisher in the group. There's there's a lot of permutations that happen, but the most important thing is if you win your group, you're you're set to go to Australia. Yeah, so uh, like we've discussed multiple times now, the context is pretty crazy every game. Ideally, each side treats each game as a knockout, like Preston mentioned earlier, to finish as high as possible on that table. Ideally, finish in the top two, if possible, at the top. Just concluding remarks, gentlemen. Uh, Preston, first to you. You're going to be there as a TV panelist at the World Cup qualifier uh, later this week. Who are you backing? I mean, obviously, your loyalties and heart will be with Scotland. Who are you expecting to kind of make it as the front runners and who's one team that you think will surprise the rest of us, those who are, those of those of us who have not been following the associate game so long, who are the one surprise package they're looking forward to uh, apart from the front runners? I think on paper and on form and performance over the last uh, 12 to 18 months, I think you have to say that Scotland are, are up there with the favourites. They've got a extremely powerful and explosive batting lineup you know, right the way from one to six. So them for me are going to be a tough team to beat. Although, you know, UAE with, um, with the, the recent issues they've had uh, came out yesterday and turned them over, which is, uh, you know, a great example of what this tournament can throw up. I know it was only a warm up game. Um, Scotland for me are favorites. Um, the Dutch on paper, they should be up there as well. Their form going into the, the competition is not great, it has to be said. Um, and them getting turned over again yesterday won't be great for their confidence. But I do expect them to to come good and, and go all the way um, to at least book a spot in the final. I think they've got too much quality in their side. Um, they've got brilliant leadership from some very experienced players and, and Rudolf van der Merwe. Colin Ackerman's a, a great addition to their squad. And they've got um, a number of... Uh, different team bowling options selection is going to be quite difficult for them I think um, possibly if anything it's whether they can get enough runs on the board and there'll be a, a bit of pressure on, on O'Dowd at the top of the order but I think they've got a lot of quality and I'm expecting them to make the final um, Ireland have come good and, and they've um, they've 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 turned their form over in T20 cricket, which is which is good. Some of their bigger bigger names are, are delivering, putting in consistent performances, and they they're starting to get explosive starts at the top with um, Kevin O'Brien moving up and and Paul Sterling. So I think they they're very good tournament players. Um, is one thing I've learned with Ireland. I would never write them off, even in T20 cricket. I know it's not their strong suit, but. I, uh, Graham Ford would have worked really hard to try and turn that around and I think they'll be coming into this tournament um, with a lot of very good preparation under their belt um, they've been out in the Middle East for a while now so um, I expect them to be there and thereabouts um, so no surprises in, in the sort of top three there um, Peter uh, spoke about a man I think they're a team that, that knows the conditions well um, along with the UAE, um, I know the UAE have um, had their issues in the last couple of days. Um, I don't think that's been made public what the issue is, but 
they've lost a couple of uh, very key players in Shaman and um, Navid, uh, their highest-ranked batter and bowler in the team. So that's, that's going to hurt them. But them and Aman, they know these conditions in the Middle East. They've got very good spinners, um, and they know how to tie teams down um, in T20 cricket. So I expect them to be smart. smart. They, they, they're well-led. Um, UAE have obviously Dougie Brown um, been at the helm for a while now, and and really starting to mould that UAE team um, into something that, that he, he wants and a, a team that's capable of winning tournaments. So um, I wouldn't write, write off either of, of those teams and I, I'd expect them to at least qualify for, for Australia, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if one of them goes goes all the way and, and, and possibly makes a final. Peter, I know this is a tournament featuring the top associates and then teams from one rung below. Who are the guys you are expecting to surprise the rest of the world? I'm sure you're following a few for your own stories and the underdog days that await us over the next few weeks. Uh, who are you looking at? Well, in one half of the draw, I think the team that really people need to keep an eye on is Jersey. They were in the tournament in 2015 in Ireland. A point that Preston made earlier that I think is really important to keep in mind is the lack of scouting info and the lack of video footage on a lot of these teams really has an impact early in the tournament. You don't want to be stuck getting drawn against a team that you don't know much about early in the tournament. And there's two two examples of that. One, Ireland coming up against Oman in the T20 World Cup in India, I thought something that played a huge factor in that, that Oman victory was Ireland had so little scouting footage to go off of. They didn't know what they were coming up against, and they really got ambushed in that game and uh, along similar lines in the qualifier four years ago. Jersey came up against Hong Kong in their opening match and absolutely annihilated them by nine wickets. They, they Again, it was a total ambush. Hong Kong had no idea what they were coming up against in Brady. And Jersey just, just stomped all over him. Jersey's performed very, very well in recent times. They, they did very, very well in their regional qualifier in Europe. They've got dynamic players. They've got match winners and, and players who play unorthodox style cricket in kind of the modern age of T20 cricket. They've got guys like John T. Jenner, who's had some experience at Sussex, who is somebody who will reverse sweep you for six or switch hit you for six. Ben Stevens, a fantastic all around who bats at three and bowls left arm spin. They've got those kind of players who you need in this kind of format. You, you can't just show up and, and, and play orthodox cricket. You need dynamic players and they've got players who are risk takers in that mold. So if you're coming up against Jersey early in the tournament in that half of the draw, you're going to be very wary of, of what you face in in that part of the group, especially if you're a team like Ireland or, or Oman or UAE. On the other half of the draw, Namibia is a team that has always kind of had hard luck at, at these events. Back in, in 2012, they went undefeated in the group. They they started off with a win over Ireland, went 7-0 and in the group. And unfortunately, at that point in time, there were only two teams that advanced to the World Cup instead of six. And they had two cracks in the knockout stage. Again, because they won the group, they had two shots at advancing to the final. And the two shots came up against Ireland in a rematch and Afghanistan. And they just got 
destroyed in in the two knockout games, and unfortunately they fell short. And then again, it happened in 2015. They had two shots against the Netherlands in a two-three semifinal, where their best uh, explosive hitter Jerry Snyman was run out in the first over for a duck, uh, and that submarine their chances. And then they they lost to Oman in their second chance match in the next knockout phase to uh, match to fall short but Namibia has has bounced back from that they've got a very dynamic uh big hitting player at the top of the order in JP Kutza they've got JJ Smith who got some experience at the Global T20 Canada as an all-rounder star all-rounder in the middle order who's a, a very strong finisher and somebody that HD Ackerman who was uh an analyst and consultant coach for Namibia at World Cricket League Division 2 a couple months ago he's on the TV broadcast team as part of the tournament it's going to be working with the president I know uh HD is very, very high on J.J. Smith and, and rates him as somebody who even could potentially be an IPL player in a couple of years as a young up-and-coming talent. So Namibia and then Bermuda, you've got Delray Rollins and Kamal Leverock, two guys who do some special things. Delray Rollins, for people who've seen him in Sussex, in the middle order role that he plays at 3-4-5, he's, again... Reverse sweep, switch hit, does all sorts of crazy things, and bowls left arm spin. It's a fantastic fielder. Took some match-winning catches against the USA in Bermuda in the regional qualifier. So if you're looking for three teams kind of on the fringes or on on the rise who might spring a surprise and, and sneak into the playoffs and potentially get a chance in that 2-3 match or that, that loser versus the fourth place uh, group finisher match for a chance to go to the World Cup, I'd be looking at Jersey, Bermuda, and Namibia as the most likely teams to do that. All right, excellent. As you would have figured out by now, listener, Peter follows the associate scene closer than pretty much anyone else, as I mentioned. Peter will, of course, be covering this tournament for ESPN Quick Info. There's plenty to watch out for. There's 14 teams in action. So stay tuned to the website. We'll also try and have a Stump Mike podcast later on. Uh, on that note, thanks a lot, Preston, uh, for your time on uh, an early morning in the UK. Uh, and good luck with the coverage of the, of the World T20 qualifier. Yeah, no problem, Srinath, any time. And yeah, really looking forward to the tournament starting later on this week. Yep. Thanks, Peter. Look forward to reading you and chatting with you throughout the tournament. Cheers. Always a pleasure.